0: agency started, the draft happened, the offseason is in full swing, and you know what that means. It is time for more numbers on the boards. My name is Bobby Crull. Brian. I'm from uh, Mavs Everywhere. Joining me today, the man with the most glorious head of hair in <laughs> all the world. No offense, Dirk. No offense, Luca. I know everyone loves them. Uh, but Skin Wade, I mean, my God, dude, you have never looked more glorious than you do right now.
1: Thank you, Bobby, and uh, you know I'll go ahead and break some news. I am on the cover of the December issue of Mullet Times. So, yes, yes, yeah, really pretty big. Uh, They were going to do a tribute to uh, Patrick Swayze, and instead they bumped that in honor to, uh, in order to honor me and my mullet. So it's very exciting.
0: He would not mind taking the back seat to you, man, because no one puts skin in the corner. That's right. right. With the way you look right now, you deserve center stage. (laughs) It's amazing. So, Skin, of course, was rocking the mullet as well on our our draft show last week. And and thank you to the more than 6,000 of you that tuned in to watch that show. It was a great time uh, with me and Skin and Coop reacting to the draft as it unfolded. Of course, the Mavs were very busy that night. We finally thought they were done at about pick 32, you know, right after they get Tyrell Terry. And then, of course, Shams breaks the news that the Mavs are trading for Josh Richardson and the 36th pick. And so our night went a little longer, but a lot of y'all stuck around with us too. It was a great time. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Skin just generally, you know, now that it's been, I don't know, five, six days since the draft, your thoughts on that. We're going to talk a lot more about, you know, Josh Richardson and kind of like the 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 theme of the upgrades that the Mavs made and how it kind of relates to their their bigger plan and everything like that. But just snap take draft night. And, and the Josh Richardson trade before we really dive into the specifics.
1: Yeah, so um, I was really happy with the potential of that trade. And for the first 45 minutes after that trade, I actually thought Josh Green was going to Philadelphia. Like I was confused by the report. So once I realized that – and I think you and I probably, as much as anybody, appreciate what Seth Curry did for this team. Oh, yeah. The importance of him. Um, So I hated to see him go because I'm a big believer in what he does. And I think he's – if you look at the premium of shooting in this league and how it uh, frees everybody up, I think he's criminally underpaid for what he gives a team. Um, As much as I hated to see that, to go into draft night with those two picks, not knowing what was going to happen, and to emerge with those three rookies and Josh Richardson – that's a coup. Like if, if we, you know, we're, we're sitting here and we're identifying they need this and they need this. I, I We'll talk about Josh Richardson, but I, I thought that that was as an incredible successful a draft night as I could have imagined that they were going to have. And so I also, you know, going into free agency, didn't really love the class. I, I mean, there's players I certainly wanted, but I always look at free agency as, you know, it's like, musical chairs and you go okay well how many guys do I really want are available and how many teams have space and all this that and the other and I just didn't think free agency was going to be very fruitful for the Mavs I thought it was going to have to come through trades and so to get that going you know whatever it is 36 hours before free agency began I thought that the offseason was already successful before they entered quote-unquote free agency.
0: I mean, ideally, the upgrade that they would have made with the mid-level exception was on the wing to get a wing defender. And now, heading into the offseason, I think everyone kind of thought, okay, well, you just keep Seth Curry and then spend the mid-level on a wing. But then I was thinking about it, and it's like, okay, you know, the Mavs are connected to a few wings and free agency. Everybody knows who they are. They've reportedly all reached agreements. Like Jay Crowder, for example, Mm -hmm. agreed to go to Phoenix. Um, If you're pitching a guy on coming to your organization and playing for your team. Everybody is working with the same amount of money this offseason. There was only like three or four teams with cap space and one of them, Charlotte tied it basically all up into one guy and Gordon Hayward. And so automatically there's even one fewer team Atlanta again, you know, Gallinari right away. So there's even one fewer team. So every team only has the mid-level that's it. So the, 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 the playing ground is equal here. Now you'd think, okay, the Mavs have Luka and KP. They got a bunch of stars. This is a great team. So everyone's going to want to come here. But at the same time, if you already have Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway and Dorian Finn Smith and Max Club, like you already have, and Luka, of course, and KP, a ton of guys who play on the wing and who play the two, three, four spots in the lineup and, and are yep. going to get playing time and make money and stuff. If you're a free agent, you're thinking, like, okay, well, why would I go there when I can go start for Phoenix? Right. I can go start for someone else. And so that's kind of, I, I think, the. The, the genius, I guess, element behind the Curry trade is, yes, it sucked to give up Seth. He was their best shooter last year, and Dallas was a top 10 three-point percentage team really because of Seth. He was 44%, yeah. 45% on threes. The dude was unbelievable last year. Remember that but- before the before the pandemic,
1: he had like a four-week period that was – I can't remember the exact stat, but it was the highest three-point percentage in NBA history over that period of time. 50
0: percent it was like a month and a half
1: yeah dude it was nuts it It was insane it's it's very very painful and we talked about this on draft night it's very very painful for me to let go of Seth I feel as a fan and a person that works for the team I feel attached to not only what he does for this team on the floor but just the dude and I think he's got a great family and I love his dad you know me and Harp and Followell sit next to his dad when Charlotte comes to town and I've gotten a talked to him several times over the years and I love him. Uh so I, I love everything about Team Curry. <laughs> so that sucked. But then I can also be uh analytical and remove myself from the situation and go, Josh Right Richardson's a great fit for what we need.
0: Yeah, he really is. And and it gives them a defensive upgrade, which they definitely needed. And I'm gonna talk about that why here in a minute. But also uh, you know, Seth played, I don't even know what he averaged, somewhere between 20, 25 minutes a game for most of the season. Um, now, he did enter the starting lineup after the Dwight Powell injury. And, of course, the Dwight Powell injury coincided with Luka missing a ton of games because he sprained his ankle. And so his minutes climbed quite a bit at the tail end of the year. And, of course, he was playing great, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like it was just an injury situation. But he gained more playing time and delivered. His numbers were fantastic. But, you know, the Mavs just really needed to upgrade on the wing defensively. I mean, they just, they really, really needed to do that. Everybody saw what Kawhi did to the Mavs. And really, Paul George didn't have that good of a series against Dallas, but it wasn't like Dallas was throwing the kitchen sink at him. I mean, he was just missing shots. So they really needed guys that could make things uncomfortable on the perimeter. Dorian Finney-Smith is not capable of doing it all by himself. Maxi Klebo was good as a starter defensively. He made things tough on Kawhi, but he's not going to be starting for them this season. You know, ideally, he's your – third big or fourth big off the bench, whatever. Um, so they had to upgrade in the starting lineup. And the only way to do that was, unfortunately, to part ways with Seth. And yeah. it's really interesting, too, that that trade with Philly. First off, the Mavs got a pick out of it, which is amazing. But secondly, that was the first time they've ever made a player-for-player player trade with Daryl Morey, which is really interesting to me. And, and Seth answers Philly's needs, just like Richardson fills the Mavs. But also, Seth Curry is like the perfect Daryl Morey player, too. Yeah. So it's just it's really interesting that, that Philly targeted him. And then also got Dakota Mathias, who spent last training camp with the Mavs, played for the Legends last season. So, clearly, Morey and, you know, Donnie Nelson, Mark Cuban, whatever, they're all interested in the same players. Yeah. You know, so, so that was kind of interesting, too.
1: I, I think, you know, if you look at and, – and this will – you can – you're our quarterback here, Bobby. So, if you want to use this as a segue to talk about Josh Richardson, cool, if you want to go somewhere else. But – if you look at Philadelphia's situation, their team fell apart when they lost J.J. Reddick. And losing J.J. Reddick also had a poor impact on what Josh Richardson was supposed to be for them. And so, you know, Seth Curry is sort of a J.J. Reddick style player. Um, they're, you know, at least of the same ilk. And that – just him checking into a game, will open things up for Philly tremendously because uh, with Josh Richardson, he's a guy that's a good open spot-up shooter, which we've talked about a bunch and how that'll benefit Luca. but he's also a great slasher cutter style player a la what Josh Howard used to be here or what Sean Marion used to be here. That's a part of his game. And their floor in Philly was so congested and ugly with like, I don't have to cover Ben Simmons if he doesn't have the ball. And, and then, so Embiid's on the block, and there's Ben Simmons, and he can't. So where's Josh uh, Richardson supposed to cut to? Where's his open shot coming from? And so those things that really allow him to flourish, they were minimized in Philly. Philly ended up being a really bad fit for him. And, you know, just think about what we talked about going into last season and everything that we talked about during the season – this floor in Dallas, this is a ballroom for people to dance on. I mean, it is spacious and lovely. And if you can cut or you can shoot, you will greatly flourish here.
0: So and he can, he can handle the ball, too. You know, Say that again? Like, to your point about slashing, he can handle the ball, too. So Yes. You know, in the same way that Seth was able to, you know, Seth was able to create his own shots every now and then. Richardson can do that as well but he can also facilitate. And that was one element of his game that really never came to the fore in Philly because they were starting Embiid and Horford together in the front court. You know, eventually they, they split them up later in the season, but you have those two and Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. That's a bunch of power forwards and centers out there. I mean, there's just no, there was no space at all. And every second that Ben's and I love Ben Simmons. He's a great player, but every second that he doesn't have the ball, or that Embiid doesn't have the ball, there is somebody on the perimeter that you don't have to guard, you know? And so you were almost always playing four on five and that's just not, that's not suitable for a guy like Richardson who wants to get into those spaces and who can shoot a little bit because he's just never going to find room.
1: Yeah. And he can handle in the pick and roll and, and they don't even run a bunch of pick and roll stuff in Philly. It's not really their bread and butter. So you're, you're taking, go ahead. Not then, but it will be now. It will be now, right? It will be now. But, you know, uh, not to digress, I know we need to talk about our team. To me, if I'm running a team and I have Ben Simmons, he is my starting center and he's bringing the ball up. And if I'm doing anything else, I am totally wasting his abilities. And so Embiid and Ben Simmons are not going to work together. They're just not. Not Not to their full potential, I should say. Obviously, great players will figure things out. But you're not – that's a bad fit. And to me, it's like putting Westbrook with James Harden. That's a bad fit for great players. So I would be surprised if either Embiid or Ben Simmons doesn't go at some point because they both have incredible value,
0: incredible value. We'll see what happens there. But I, I think it was important to talk about that Philly situation first because it kind of contextualizes why really across the board, Richardson's numbers dipped last year from where they were in 2018-19, whenever he played in Miami. And now remember, Miami kind of overhauled its roster a little bit heading into this season. I mean, Duncan Robinson was around, but he wasn't really playing. They didn't have Tyler Hero. They didn't have Jimmy Butler, obviously. And so they were a totally different team uh, last year. And Josh Richardson was kind of their Jimmy Butler, really. He was like an off-guard who could handle, you know, kind of complement Dragic. And he ran a lot of pick and roll as the ball handler. And a lot of the times he was partnering up with, like, Hassan Whiteside, who's a pure rim runner, or Kelly Olenek, who could pick and pop, or Bam Adebayo, who can do a little bit of both. And he was excellent. So Synergy does – they do basically points per possession created out of the pick and roll. And his passes were – they led to, like, excellent offensive efficiency. He could find shooters. He could find rollers. Last season in Philly, his pick and roll passing was very, very bad. He ranked in the eighth percentile points per possession created when passing to a roller. But again, look at Philly's roster last year. He was partnering with Al Horford, who had probably the worst year of his career. Joel Embiid, who couldn't really roll because they had Simmons and Horford. And Embiid popping, you don't really want him to pop. He's not that good of a shooter. And so it's just there was, there was no space. There was no flow to that offense. But two years ago, Richardson averaged four assists per game. That's now right. I know playing with Luca, Luca is going to have the ball all the time. But he can't have the ball – like literally for all 24 seconds, and the Mavs want their guys to at least be able to catch it and attack. But Richardson can do more than that, and so he could play with the second unit a little bit. Maybe he plays at the starting line. Maybe Luka goes out and Richardson handles it while Luka's out of the game. But but he can share and shoulder some of that playmaking burden, which is really important because even though they have Brunson and they brought back Trey Burke and who knows about J.J., it's never a bad thing to have guys who can pass, dribble, and shoot. And Richardson yeah do all of those things. And so I would expect not only his three-point shooting to improve, but also his playmaking. And that's why I think he's just a a really, really solid fit, even at the cost of Seth. I think he's a really good fit with Luka in this system.
1: Yeah, no, those are all excellent points, Bobby. And I think, you know, to contextualize this even further for something super tangible that MAV fans have already seen with their eyes, go back to a year ago and just ask your average MAV fan what they thought about Tim Hardaway Jr., and now ask them what they think about Tim Hardaway Jr. playing alongside Luca. It's like, all of this stuff is, you know, it, it, it all takes the context. You know, and I remember when we acquired Monte Ellis and the way people were like, oh, this guy's a trash player and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, let's see Monte Ellis coming off a of Dirk screen and see what you think. And then go back is that first year, like three months into the season, there was like six national articles about the quote-unquote rebirth of – Monte Ellis and this new discovery and all that. And it's like, look, man, you put any good player alongside Dirk, and they have a chance to be a great player. You put any good player alongside Luka, and he has a chance to be a great player. All that stuff matters. I love Chris Middleton. I really love Chris Middleton playing next to Giannis. Like, all these things matter. And so, you know, the, those, what you were saying about what Josh Richardson has done in the past, that gives people a peek into what he can be here in this situation, because that's what we care
0: about. And Miami, in many ways, they don't do really anything the same way the Mavs do offensively. But Miami is a really good example, too, of a team where basically every player who ever goes there has the best years of their career. You know, there's something about Spolstra and their culture and everything. Well, the Mavs are are the same way. You know, they go about it different ways. They run different offense. They have a different kind of, like, cultural ethos. But – players that come here generally have some of the best seasons of their career, just the same way as it is in Miami. So I I would look for Richardson to be really good. And that kind of leads to um, the, not really like a log jam, but now the the Mavs have a lot of wings. They have a luxury of having a lot of wings, but they also have, um, you know, shown a preference toward playing Porzingis at the four in the past, whenever Powell was healthy. Now, of course, You know, at the beginning of last season, Powell wasn't even playing. He didn't play until the fourth or fifth game of the year. Um, But Porzingis was four. Once he came back, Porzingis was the four. Powell was the five. But now I wonder, with Hardaway back and with Finney-Smith still in the fold and with Richardson here, you know, you can start Finney-Smith and Richardson and have two-plus wing defenders in your starting lineup, which is really, really good. Yeah. And then you can kind of hide Hardaway and hide Doncic on the, the other guys. Richardson can guard ones. He's shown he can do that. Finney Smith can guard some guards too. And so you can really kind of mix and match defensively if they want to start all four of those guys with Porzingis at the five, or, you know, they could go to something like Doncic, Hardaway, Richardson, Porzingis, Powell, if they want to bring in Powell, or they could even bring Hardaway off the bench if they want to try that again and just go defense in the starting lineup with Doncic, Richardson, Finney Smith, Porzingis, Powell. I don't really like that as much. I, I liked him shooting in the starting lineup and I think he plays better as a starter. And I also think some of it is matchup dependent too. And and Rick Carlisle is like a world class tinkerer with lineups, and so he'll figure out what's best. But as things stand now, assuming no you know crazy moves, what do you think their best five man combination to start games or close games or however you want to view it? Where where, where is your head at on that?
1: It's Luca. It's Richardson. It's Hardaway Jr. It's Finney Smith, and it's KP. And you switch everything outside. I mean, your smallest guy is, is Hardaway Jr. and Richardson are similar sizes. Richardson, I think, is maybe, I don't know if he's listed that weight wise, but he's a little thicker. Um, but uh, I, the thing about Luca defensively is he's very intuitive. Um, and, you know, I think about guys like one of, one of uh, you know, no one ever said, man, Chris Mullen's a great defensive player, but man, was he smart. And, you know, he knew uh, – this guy was a much bigger player, but uh, uh, Derek McKee used to be a really – he wasn't like a great move-your-feet guy, but he was really smart about what was going to happen and getting in passing lanes and things like that. And so he became a really valuable defensive player. He was looked at as a glue guy slash defensive player. I think Luca has that ability, and I think he showed for possessions – uh, during the playoffs he can really go compete defensively when he wants to, when he, when he needs to. Um, and so and Hardaway junior, you know, to me, a lot of his, I, mean, I think sometimes when his shots not dropping or something he has a tendency to kind of fade, but when they keep him dialed in, he competes too. And so I think that lineup is very flexible offensively and defensively. So to me, without knowing what the other team is rolling out there, I like that five quite a bit.
0: And that makes your bench unit, and this is all based on, you know, reports. Again, more things could change, but Brunson, Burke, probably your first two guards off the bench. I think they can play together, honestly, yeah. um, without giving up too much. Uh, Maxi Powell has the big guys with Boban and Willie Colley-Stein, who uh, reportedly agreed to terms with the Mavs as well. You're going to need big man depth because – You know, Porzingis' situation at the beginning of the year and also with back-to-backs. I don't know what Dwight Powell's situation is going to be like on back-to-backs, but wouldn't surprise me if there's some caution there some nights. And so you're going to need all the big man depth you can get. And, um, you know, so that's kind of it there. And then the wings off the bench, Josh Green. um, You know, I I don't know how much he'll play this year, to be honest, but uh, he'll be in the fold and then James Johnson as well too. And so they they have quite a bit of depth there. I think if you start all three wings – you're not bringing as many wings off the bench. But Luke is kind of a wing, too. So you're really starting four wings and Porzingis, and you can mix and match from there. But I like that second unit. And I also like the the freedom and the flexibility to say, okay, well, let's say maybe Hardaway's having an off night. All right, we can just roll more with Powell, you know, as long as we're not giving up anything on the on the defensive end, you know, with with bigger. Right. Or, okay, you know, maybe – they got a bigger four, so let's give Maxie some more run and, and Finney Smith can come off the bench, you know, because he, he, he's kind of better against guards than he is against the the, the bigger, thicker guys. So, I don't know. I think they, they have a lot of flexibility. Um, even adding, you know, Richardson is, what, two, three inches bigger, taller than Seth. Just adding a little bit of size on that end gives them so much more freedom yeah. on the defensive side of the ball and and really, you know, the Mavs are going to score almost no matter who's on the floor. We saw it last year with them. Luka missed a ton of games. KP missed a ton of games. They were still the number one offense of all time in terms of efficiency. Right. So their system is such that they will score points no matter what. For them, it's all about defense. So getting more defensive versatility, more guys who can defend, more guys who can switch, more guys who can guard guards, I think that's just such a huge boost to them and, and, and gives Rick a lot of freedom to kind of you know, push buttons whenever he needs to based on what the other team is doing.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I agree with all that. You know, we're also – we're talking about, you know, ideal lineups. But there's always – there's always this idea of what is the other team doing. And, you know, when you mention Curry, it's just like these teams that are just – they don't roll out any small guys. Or if they do, it's very rarely. You know, and then you see those defensive – I mean, Curry played hard. He competed. But, you know, if he's getting switched off on a 6'7 guy the size of Kawhi – or, you know, a Paul George type, man, it's just a bad matchup. And when those guys are getting that ball, like in the mid post area, just backing him down and shooting over him, you know, there's nothing you could do about that except be bigger. And so that's, that's the idea of not only the abilities that Josh Richardson has and the things that he does, but just the mere size component of it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very important. And, and, He has the size to defend bigger guys, but also the quicks to defend smaller guys, too. And that's the most important thing because, you know, the the list of guys who can defend Damian Lillard, I'll be real with you, is, like, non-existent. But Damian Lillard just torches the Mavs every single time they play. Every single time. Guys like Kemba Walker always have really good games against the Mavs because they just have not – Been able to find over the years, part of it is scheme. I mean, they're going to drop KP back. And so if you can pull up off the dribble from 25 feet, then you're going to score 40 against Dallas. But those guys, especially Dame last year, I mean, my God, in that game where he put 50 on Dallas or whatever it was, how many times was he just able to get to the basket and lay it in with, like, no resistance? I'm not picking on Seth, but a lot of the times, you know, with the lineup the Mavs were playing at the end of the year, Seth was the guy that was defending him or Tim Hardaway was the guy who was defending him. And those guys are kind of, you know, your league average defenders. They're just sort of – they're just – they're guys who play defense. But Richardson is a plus guy. He's an above-average defender. And so if putting Richardson on Dame Lillard or Kimball Walker or Kyrie Irving when they play – or, you know, whoever, James Harden, switch off of Finney, I mean, you're know you going to have to defend a lot of these guys. Jamal Murray, like conference finalists, uh, uh, Nuggets – It's important to have a lot of guys who can slow them down. If putting those guys on Lillard means instead of scoring 40, he scores 33, Uh that is worth it. Like every point you can save matters because you're still, like we said, you're still going to score a bunch of them on the other end of the floor.
1: Yeah. No, I think those are all good points. And in fairness to Seth and Tim Hardaway Jr., they're listening to this podcast going, Bobby, did you not see what Dame did to everybody? Come on, man. That's
0: why I said. No one can defend him. Right, right,
1: right. No, 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 I get, I get it. The whole idea is with incredible players, and the same thing with Luka. This is why we talked about – we we thought that the Clippers were a bad matchup is all the different people they could throw at Luka to make it difficult on him because that's all we're talking about is degrees of difficulty. Um, and so if we can increase the degree of difficulty for those incredible upper-tier players to make it a little bit more difficult for them to just do the magic – that they do, then that's that's a that's a plus.
0: Yeah, and and for Tim too, because I know he's out there listening to this. Big huge. We're all gonna see. Like, it's one thing if you're just if you're just like a fine defender, if you're always defending the second best player on the other team, mm-hmm. but now he'll be able to defend the third best player. Right. And we'll see point. how much better Tim is defensively because he's gonna be guarding a, the third best guy. Yeah. You know. And so he's not going to be put in situations where he's going to have to guard Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum for 36 minutes in a game. He can guard – I don't i don't know who that person would be. I guess Melo or Derek Jones. I mean, like the, a guy further down the depth chart. Yeah. All of a sudden, we don't even think of Tim as like a, as a weakness on defense or anything because he's a strength. He's definitely good enough to defend the third best player. Absolutely. But the second best player is just a tough ask.
1: Yeah. He, he – you know, the thing about him when you watch him, and I didn't really – know this until he got here and he exhibited it when he first got here before the injury shut him down but he competes you know that's the thing do you have the physical tools to do it I would argue yes he's a premier athlete at 6'5 and 200 pounds or whatever he is and does that person compete do they take pride in going at someone and he does he absolutely does so you know, I, I, I don't look at him as, oh, my God, what a disaster. Tim Hardaway Jr. is on defense. I don't look at it that way. Um, and I think your point is, as it go, if, if less is required of him individually, defensively, the more he'll look better defensively.
0: And the more you can flourish on offense. Because getting scored on, whether it's the NBA or a pickup game at the YMCA, getting scored on frustrates you. And yeah. if you're going up against a guy who averages 30 a game, you're going to get scored on a lot, and so it's going to get in your head. And so, yeah. you know, just being able to breathe a little easier on defense, free him up a little more on offense. We'll see what happens. I, I, we always view that like the opposite way. Like if they, you know, we want to give them a break on defense so that they can do more on offense, we say that about guys who like to handle the ball, like guys like Luca. Mm-hmm. But I think it helps shooters too. Like Harrison Barnes, whenever he was here, he would always talk about playing the four. I don't mind it, but it's kind of tough because if I'm guarding Zach Randolph, it really saps my legs on my right. jump shot. Right. Hardle only takes jump shots. So he's not having to fight around 100 screens a game. Probably going to make him a little better offensively, and he was already amazing last year in that regard. So, um, okay, I, I want to I talk about defense for a little bit, and I did some, I did some stat stuff, Skin. All right. So buckle up. Put on your glasses. You already got them. I got my contacts in. Bust out your calculators and your spreadsheet. It's time to dig into the numbers. So, okay, the Mavs last year, they were the number one offense in the NBA in terms of offensive efficiency. I sounded kind of drunk when I said that, but it's because I was drunk off their stats. They were amazing on offense. Top 10 three-point shooting team. luca uh, you know, he averaged a million points a game. They were the number one offense of all time. If they had scored 2.5 points fewer per 100 possessions, two and a half points less per 100 possessions, they still would have been number one. That's how much better they were than anybody else. So the difference between them and second was like the difference between second and like 11th. They were miles ahead of everyone else. But they were 18th on defense. So I'm going to remove Portland from this conversation. They made the playoffs, but they did it via the playing tournament. They were the number nine seed. 15 of the top 16 teams in defensive rating skin made the playoffs. Dallas was the lowest-rated defensive team to make the playoffs. They were the lowest-rated defensive team to finish with a winning record. They were basically the worst playoff defense last season. And, of course, they had to go up against Kawhi Leonard in the first round, and we all know what happened. You have to be good on defense. What is their goal? Their goal is to win the championship. So this is the defensive rating of your past 10 champions. Lakers, third. Raptors, fifth. Warriors, 11th. Warriors, second. Cavs, 10th. Warriors first, Spurs fourth, Heat ninth, Heat fourth, Mavs eighth. The Warriors, which was 2018, became just the second defense to win the championship ranked outside the top 10 in defensive rating of the millennium. So, like, pretty much if you're not a top 10 defense, you stand no chance in the playoffs because it's all about getting stops. And now the average defensive rating the average offensive rating of your champion is much lower. Like the Lakers, for example, they were 11th in offense this season. I mean, they they did not shoot the ball well. They were a bottom 10 three-point shooting team. But they can get stops, they get timely buckets, they win games. Okay, Dallas, like I said, they were 2.5 points better than everybody else on offense. If they would have been 2.5 points better on defense, they would have jumped from 18th to 9th. Wow. And so if you're going to – if you're going to pull some points from offense and reallocate them from defense, like if you just have the magical powers to be able to do that, it's worth it. And this is why skin last year when Dallas scored fewer than 110 points in a game. So 110, pretty good game. When they had a worse night than that, they were seven and 19. Oh, they didn't score 110 points. That's really, really, really bad. Some of their competitors in the West, the Lakers, Won, uh they went 12 and 14. They played the same number of games as the Mavs, but they won five more. The Clippers were 12 and 13. The Nuggets were 17 and 20. All of these teams are great. They're all losing more often than they're winning whenever they have a bad offensive night, but they're much closer to 500. Seven and 19 is like, you're going to get like the number one pick. In the game. Yeah, that's a bad team. Yeah. If the Mavs would have had the Lakers' record in those games, so they win five more games, they would have been the third seed in the West. Okay. They would have been third place. They would have finished ahead of Denver. Dallas last season, when they allowed fewer than 115 points, we're not asking much, just 115. <laughs> when they allowed fewer than that, they were 33 and 14, skin. <laughs> they won 56 games. That's the pace that they were at. When they just allowed fewer than 115, like the threshold, the threshold is so low. Like I'm not, I'm not even playing. They just right. have to be just average. So, like, that that translates roughly to when they allowed fewer than 110 points per 100 possessions, which was league average, Houston was 109.8, and they ranked 15th. So when the Mavs were just better than average on defense, they were 22-8. and eight. That's almost a 60-win pace. Like, if they're good on defense, their offense is so unstoppable that if they're just, like, decent on defense, then they're going to win a million games. And that's why getting Richardson – Drafting Josh Green, you know, investing in Tyler Bay, naming the two-way guys, like bringing back Kali Stein, like just adding more defenders is never a bad thing when you have a talent as otherworldly as Luca.
1: Yeah, and it's so interesting too how dialed in they were on that. They knew what their biggest issues were, and they used draft night to address that soundly. Uh, and and man, the trade is the trade is all of this. You know, if if you're If you wanted – I mean, you always want more. Fans always want more. But I I just look at not only what they did, but also where they can go. Like, you and I will have these conversations about top-tier teams, and then we always talk about who they have under contract and for how long and can that team get any better. The Mavericks got better. I would argue they got significantly better on paper. Um, Because I also think a lot of them getting better has to do with the growth and health and things like that. Um, So I think they got significantly better. And when I look at what they're committed to and what they're not committed to, I see enormous potential to make power moves. Um, So I just I feel really good about not only did they use this uh, offseason so far to address those issues that you just lined out, but I think they're also really, really flexible with what they're going to be able to do moving forward. I just, I feel great about what they've been able to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the other side of the coin. And if you're, you know, if you got your, your fantasy GM, Donnie Nelson hat on, almost every acquisition they made this summer was for a guy who has one year left on his contract. And so obviously everybody knows what that means, but that's part of it, you know, and, and the, the luxury of it all too is like James Johnson, for example, he's a veteran player. He has one year left on his contract. If he has a great season, I'm sure that everyone would love to have him back, you know? I mean, but, like, it it never hurts to just give veterans a chance. And I think that that's the – you know, we we spent a really long time – not a really long time because they weren't tanking for – or re, they weren't rebuilding for that long, I guess, is the, the correct word to say, skin. But, you know, for three or four years, from about 2016, 2015, un, until basically now, it was like, all right, let's just get younger. Let's get younger. Let's bring in a lot of kids, bring in whatever. But now they found – like teams do that intentionally so that they have shots at drafting guys who are gonna be approximately as good as Luca. The Mavs already have that guy. They already have KP. And so now it's like, all right, well, I, I feel like we have the equipment, you know, and, and they did spend a couple draft picks on some twenty year olds, you know, Josh Green and Tyrell Terry are kids, Tyler Bay, kid, Nadine, you know, they, they got they got some young guys. But they also need veterans that are savvy, that know how to play, that know how to win games, that have experience and stuff, even if they're not gonna be big parts of the rotation. Like James Johnson last year only played like 30 games or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll even play that many for Dallas this season. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. We'll see, I guess, injuries and all that stuff will dictate it. But just having guys at the end of the bench who have just been around and who are tough and who can defend, like, that's really, really important to a team whose best player is 21 years old, you know. And so they've, they've very quickly, I feel like, shifted from let's just like – Take as as many darts and sling them at the board as possible to see what we can find. Like they already did that with guys like Finney Smith and Kleba. Like they right. found their their other guys. You know, they developed them. Yeah, they, yeah, they developed them, and they did it quickly. And now, you know, maybe Maxi Kleba isn't the best player in the NBA, but he's very, very good. And a good every basketball
1: season. player on a, he's a good basketball player on a very very reasonable contract.
0: Absolutely. And same for Finney-Smith, even more reasonable, or like almost an unreasonable contract and played starter-level minutes on a playoff team last year. So, like, these guys are very good, but now it's time to, all right, round it out, experience, toughness, defense. I mean, they kind of followed the trajectory of what you'd expect from a team that's trying to win at a high level. They've just done it very faster than a lot of rebuilding teams have before, you know, because ordinarily it takes so many chances in the lottery to find a guy who's as good as Luca. Like look at, I know this is the classic case, but to bring it full circle, look at Philly. They spent a bajillion top 10 picks on guys. Now, they did a great job of finding end of the roster guys. They found Robert Covington, mm-hmm. right? They found Jeremy Grant. Those right. guys are on other teams now, you know? And so that's why last offseason, and I don't want to relitigate the whole thing, but, you know, last offseason, the Mavs entered it with max cap space. Everybody thought they were going to get Kimba or somebody else spent a lot of their own money re-signing their own guys, which kind of looks silly in the moment. But then whenever you see, okay, Jeremy Grant just got $60 million or whatever it was to go to another team. Like sometimes keeping your own players is a really, really good idea because it sucks to lose them. Like Denver's in a bind now because they lost Jeremy Grant. Philly has never been able to find a guy who can give them what Jeremy Grant did. So it's just – I, I don't know. Keeping those guys is really important. But now, now they're just in the roundout period. And, of course, next offseason they're going to have max cap space again. And so the, the adventure continues. But I feel like this has been – it's, it's been very wise stuff from them, even if it's not the flashiest thing. Like the Josh Green pick on draft night, I said that there's nothing sexy about it, but they like the player and he fills a need. Like yeah. every single move that they've made really in the last year, two years, none of them have, like, moved my needle outside of the KP trade, obviously. But they're all just like, yeah, it's a, it's a good move. Makes sense.
1: Yeah. You know, your point about signing your own guys, you know, when you sign your own guys, you're signing someone that you know. You know who they are. You know what they can do. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Everyone, well, a lot of people in the organization were very bullish on what DeLon Wright could do here. And he got here and he couldn't do what they wanted him to do. They didn't have DeLon Wright. I'm not saying anything bad about DeLon Wright. Uh, you know, he, when somebody is over there, you can look at them and evaluate them, but they're not here with you. And so you don't know if it's the right fit or not. And DeLon Wright might go, you know, and, and really flourish and live up to that contract, but he wasn't living up to that contract here for whatever reason that it was. They identified that they went and got that. It didn't work out, but they, knew what they were going to do with Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba. And by every objective standard, those guys exceeded people's expectations and their contract levels. You and I talked about this. Those guys, statistically speaking, were both top 10 3ND guys in the NBA. You know, And so they, the Mavericks knew what those guys were because they had them and they worked with them every day. And so sometimes people get all caught up in what this – fantastical version of what they expect to come out of the the box when they open it. And sometimes it's not that, but if you keep what you know and to do it on the contracts, they did same thing with Seth. Seth had been here. They knew what they were going to get with Seth and they got it. And that's why it sucks that they've traded him, but we love what they got in return. So, uh, you know, I'm saying all that to say that I always base, You know, what a team did and didn't do and what their long-term prospects are. And this is why I never remember, like, when we would talk about the Mavs at the end of games uh, crunch time this year, why I was never worried about it. Because if you're worried about that, then you're telling me that you don't think Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis can figure out how to win games. And I'm just not in that camp. I'm just not a person. Yeah, those guys can't get it done. I'm actually the opposite. I'm like, those guys will get it done. Because I watched Nash and Finley and Dirk try to figure out how to get it done. And guess what, everyone? They were pretty effing good. Uh, a couple of times. time, though. Like you said. So I don't look at this and in and, and the moment go, oh my God, we've now lost four or five of Crunch. Blow it up. Or right, sign that guy. Like, what are we going to do? Well, let the thing develop. And, and so I look at what you have, what you know you have. And then what room do you have to get better? And, man, they still have enormous room both uh, with future cap space or re-signing guys that they know that they want and want to keep or trade possibilities as well as uh, MVP. He's the, he is not you and I saying this. He is Vegas's odds-on favorite to be the MVP this year at the age of 22. Everybody okay with that? Do we feel good about that? So don't get caught up in what you didn't get. Look at the whole thing and where it can go. And that's how you properly evaluate any team in any sport.
0: That moves my needle. Word. The odds on favorite to win the MVP. That, is gonna, that's that moves my sports needle very much, skin. Very, very much. Uh, okay. So we're going we're gonna to wrap things up here. We've been going for a good time. It's been a good show. Uh, and we'll be back. I, I would think we'll be back before preseason obviously right. Oh, absolutely. It, it starts next week. So, we're 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 right around the corner. And also next week at some time, I believe uh at least the first half of the NBA schedule is going to come out. Now, it's going to be 72 games. Dallas will play 42 against the West and 30 against the East, but the league is going to release the, only the first half or the first half ish of the schedule, probably until about the All-Star break, I would think, to allow teams some flexibility in case, you know, COVID stuff happens good or bad, you know, like if the vaccine happens, for example, then all of a sudden home games become, you know, a little cooler, but uh, you know, we're going to kind of play it by ear on, on that front, but this is kind of the the basic nuts and bolts of the schedule. And I want to get some, some, some quick thoughts on that too, before we see it. So the Mavs will play, like I said, 42 against the West, 30 against the East. So you're going to play each team once at home, once on the road, just like always, you're going to play each West team, three times, even the teams within your division. I guess divisions don't really matter anymore, but you're going to play them all three times. So Dallas will play the Pacific division. So that's Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Suns, and Kings, twice at home and once on the road. And so potentially only one trip to LA for the Mavs this season, which I'm sure the players are not happy about, but that's great if you're a Mavs fan. Uh, And then also the Spurs and Pelicans, two times at home and once on the road. They will play the Rockets and the Grizzlies once at home and twice on the road, as well as the Northwest Division, which means I will have to go two times to Denver and Utah and Portland, which are all very, very tough places to play. However, with fans may or may not being there, maybe that changes things a little bit. They'll also go to Minnesota and OKC twice as well. And so um, kind of an interesting thing. Like, I can talk myself into only having to play the Pacific teams on the road once each I can talk myself into being, that being awesome, but having to go to the mountains twice and having to, I mean, Utah's in the mountains too. so having to go to the mountains four times and to Portland twice, that kind of sucks. So I guess I mean every team plays the same schedule approximately, but uh, I, I don't know what do, you, what, do you, what do you think about that whole that whole shebang?
1: It's interesting to me the, which I think is good, the preponderance of still working in the East Coast. Team, or the Eastern Conference teams the way that they did. I guess I thought there would be more of a, I don't know, pinching of that schedule than pinching of the – and so I, I like that. Um, I also like – you know, I think a team like OKC is going to take a step back. So if I'm doing, you know, multiple road games, I want to focus there's so many good teams in the West.
0: Um, it's a, so it's I, ridiculous. I,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, I think ultimately, you know, without even also knowing how the games are – Broken up, and uh, it's kind of hard to make a determination if it's good or bad. Um, I wish that the Mavericks or the NBA rather could start in January. I think it would be better for everybody. But I understand there's a lot of money that's been lost. A lot of money that's been lost, and and uh, you know the economy's hurting for all these industries. So I get it. Um, I have a feeling. I mean, think about those teams that haven't played basketball since March. That's going to be weird for them.
0: Long time, man.
1: Long time. Uh, So I think the first couple weeks of the season are going to be odd, no matter what.
0: December 25th, though, falls within the schedule range, and that's a a noteworthy day for many reasons. But most importantly, there's a lot of basketball on TV that day. So I want to get your prediction now. I feel like it's a safe bet the Mavs will be playing that day, but I want to get your prediction, will they be playing – and also, who will they be playing? The Dallas Mavericks. Dallas Mavericks versus
1: – can I have two, two – I mean, I'll go with – my first instinct is the Dallas Mavericks versus the Houston Rockets. My second instinct is the Dallas Mavericks versus the Phoenix Suns.
0: Ooh, that is a good one. That's a spicy one.
1: Chris Paul being traded to Phoenix put them in the mix for being on television on Christmas Day with yeah, Devin and Luka, Booker.
0: Booker and Ayton, too. Yep. A lot of young guys. K so, obviously.
1: So they could highlight it as the future of the league, you know, Luca versus Devin Booker. And boy, the Suns got serious with Chris Paul and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think Houston probably the idea of Luca versus Harden if Harden's still on the Rockets is uh, probably number one. And then I could also see Phoenix being a possibility.
0: The uncertainty with Houston, I think, plays into them maybe not being a part of it. Here's a couple dark horse ones. Dallas-Denver, the Battle of the Balkan Boys. Yeah. Um, Dallas-New York, the Knicks always play on Christmas, and that's still a thing. But without fans, it might not be as, like, juicy of a matchup to have KP go back there, and also KP won't be playing. And then the, the darkest of horses skin, Dallas-Milwaukee. How about that <laughs> for a Christmas Day matchup? That, that could, be, yeah. uh, it could be a little, a little interesting for, for many reasons. But No,
1: I think that's good. I'm, I'm, so you think – what about a Philly-Miami Christmas Day thing? I'm trying to think about how they can make it work regionally and all those things. That could
0: be, that could be good. So you know that the Knicks always play. The Knicks always seem to play the Celtics. So yeah. I think we can kind of pencil that in. Right. Miami has to play. Sometimes they do the finals rematch, but I wonder if they'll do Clippers-Lakers again. Like, they'll do Clippers, Lakers. I, I I could totally
1: see. I could totally see Milwaukee, Dallas. That's that's interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, because you want the two. I mean, Giannis and Luca are two of the biggest players in the league. You know, yeah. arguably one two in your MVP power rankings. Right. They have to be playing. Yeah. Maybe play against each other. Maybe Milwaukee plays Miami. Um, maybe uh, you know. I think Denver being on TV is good. Denver Phoenix. I think could be a spicy yeah, that, match. Yeah, player. that could work. Yeah, but there are usually five games, and so we got ten teams. And I, I think the, the Mavs have to be one of those teams. They, they almost
1: to. always put Portland in there because of Dame and because it's Portland.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, it's, and the Pacific time zone, you need a West right. Coast game. Warriors right. will be back, too. That's a, uh, Yeah, it's going to be tough, man. Maybe Warriors, Suns. I don't know. There's a lot of teams vying for that spot. It is so a, so a couple difficult. teams are going to get frozen out.
1: Yeah, it's hard for the NBA. It's hard for everyone that the Knicks, because it's in New York, keeps getting forced on, oh, what about – New York, Brooklyn.
0: That could be a good one. Kind of the battle for New York. Yeah. Yeah. Slap a trademark on that thing. Let's make some money. The battle for New York. All right. Well, we'll find out. We won't have to wait much longer. I'm sure those rumors are going to be flying here soon. The schedule is going to be released at some point in early December. That is uh, appropriately vague, but early December starts next week. Uh, Before then is Thanksgiving. So happy holidays to you and yours. Hopefully you're able to, um, if you are able to celebrate, do so responsibly and safely. Uh, Yes. My God, just let's, let's keep everything under control. If you are spending Thanksgiving maybe by yourself or not around your family as you normally would, then I still hope you enjoy the holiday. Uh, hopefully you can enjoy some football or, or just you know spend some time with the people in your life in in some way maybe digitally or or something technology is amazing skin and i are talking face to face right now on the internet it's it's a beautiful thing
1: if you're uh, just... let me let me say this bobby if you're alone for thanksgiving send me and bobby a message on twitter or something and we'll holler back at you we won't let you be alone for
0: thanksgiving thank we'll yeah. dude absolutely absolutely uh, Skin, any any last thoughts or any final takes before we get out of here, or are you just uh, you just want to go on hold until, I guess next week when camp opens?
1: Yeah, we'll get back together next week. I'm just I feel really good about the direction of this team, and I hope uh, hope the fan base does too. We have amazing times it's, ahead.
0: It's gonna be fun, man. It's gonna, it's gonna be, be fun. fun. The season starts soon. Everything is happening very quickly. We can barely keep up, but we can also barely wait. Yeah, and we'll see you guys whenever we see you you next week camp opens, basketball soon to follow. Again, happy Thanksgiving to everyone and uh, just stay safe, stay responsible, stay smart and go maps. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. Whoop, whoop.